Good evening and welcome to this episode of Chick Talk. I'm John Houston, Director of Business Services for Protrition Feed. We're glad you're joining us this evening. I'm happy and excited to introduce our guest this evening, Dr. Tom Tabler. Dr. Tabler is uh, the Extension Poultry Specialist with the University of Tennessee and certainly involved in a lot of things poultry related. I'm very pleased to have have you as our guest today. And we want to ask, first of all, what's your background with uh, poultry as it relates to poultry, both commercial and, and backyard? Well, a lot of my career has been in chickens. We had backyard chickens when I was growing up in Arkansas. So I grew up in Arkansas. All my degrees are from the University of Arkansas, but I didn't get them all together. So I got my bachelor's and then I was out in the real world, more or less, and away from academia for about 10 years. So I serviced chickens, broiler chickens, for a commercial poultry company in southwest Arkansas for about five years. We grew my wife's family while I was servicing chickens. I met her when we got married. I quit servicing chickens and went to work for her family, who had four commercial broiler houses, had 480 sows on contract with Cargill to produce feeder pigs, had about 200 head of cattle. So I managed that operation for several years until my wife's grandfather passed away. And then they sold the operation, the farming part of it. I went back to the University of Arkansas and got my bachelor or got my master's and PhD while I was working full time for the university. I wouldn't do that again. (laughs) I might do the master's again, but I wouldn't do the PhD. It was very difficult to do that. But I've been involved in not just you know, the academic side, but also I've been in the commercial world long enough to know how commercial chicken companies manage things and why they manage things the way they do. I've dealt with enough backyard chicken folks to kind of be able to live in that world as well. So so all of the things that I've done have kind of made me the person that I am to where I can kind of understand why each segment is, is done the way that it's done. Well, that done. practical experience certainly goes a long it way with a lot. Uh, so as we think about the University of Tennessee, and I, I'm excited as a UT alum, animal science alum, to, to, to learn about the things that are happening with poultry uh, and, and some, some of the plans that I've heard about uh, at Spring Hill in particular, in particular and, and, and other places. But what are some of the research projects you've been involved in and maybe some of the things you hope that will happen as this develops as well at, at one time or another you know i've been involved in in just about all different aspects of the applied part of it mm-hmm. i'm a lot better applied type person on the farm type person than i am a look through the microscope to try to figure out what i'm seeing but a lot of the work that i've done has dealt with lighting in chicken houses led lighting especially over the last five to seven years has been a big deal where Almost all chicken houses now are lit with some type of LED lighting. They've pretty much phased out incandescent, pretty much phased out fluorescent. So a lot of LED lighting work, a lot of work with litter management in terms of keeping litter dry inside the chicken house, how to do that. Because again, wet litter has a huge effect on paw quality and and paws, chicken feed are a big deal anymore to companies. So a lot with litter management, a lot with lighting, uh, a fair amount of sprinkler work on sprinkling chickens to cool them in the summertime versus using only cool cells because you, if you manage it right, 
You can save, you know, 50, 60% of the cooling water that you use by using a sprinkler system versus a cool cell only system. So if it's out there on the applied side at one time or another, I've probably done a little bit with it, <laughs> either at Arkansas or Mississippi State where I was before I came to, to UT. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I've been around a long time and seen a lot of different aspects awesome. of what folks do. Well, tell me a little bit about ventilation in a, in a I guess, a commercial broiler house. I know uh, maybe the difference between what I would term conventional ventilation and tunnel ventilation and some of the what are some of the differences well conventional actually? ventilation is is basically if you've got a curtain-sided house you can conventionally ventilate that house because you can manage your ventilation some point with how you manage your curtains if it's a solid sidewall house if it's tunnel ventilated pretty much everything is done with you and the fans now you're going to have cool cells at one end of the house big fans all at the other end of the house, and then you've got vent doors down both sides of the house, right there at the ceiling level. And your controller basically manages, based on what kind of program you have and what kind of timer setup you have in that control package on your chicken house, it pretty much does the ventilation for you. It opens and closes the vent doors. It tells the system how long those vent doors need to be open how long those fans at the far end need to run. Maybe if the chickens are little, maybe you're running 30 seconds, 45 seconds out of every five minutes. But right. as they get bigger, you know, now you're running maybe a minute out of five, two minutes out of five, three minutes mm -hmm. out of five, depending on how big those chickens are and how much ventilation control you need to keep the humidity level where you want in that house and keep your litter quality in the condition that you Absolutely. want it to be in. So it is... You know, chicken growing is, is, it's part science, but it's a lot art too. A lot of it has to do with how good of a manager that grower is and, and how good of a feel they have for what's going on inside that chicken house. But to do that, and, and a lot of you folks know this, to, to do a good job raising chickens, you have to be in the chicken house. You cannot let the controller do everything for you. To, to, to be at your best and for those chickens to perform at their best, you know, it takes a grower inside the chicken house to be aware of what's going on. Absolutely. So just a couple more commercial questions. We'll move to backyard. Uh, but from the commercial side on, and the broilers especially, what's a typical grow out period for uh, from the time that the chicks arrive till the time that they're harvested? Well, it'll, it'll kind of depend on who the integrator is and who their customers are, because integrators have bosses too. The, the, the service tech, you know, comes along and, and asks the grower to this and that and the other, but he's doing that or she's doing that because they are being told by whoever their customers are, and customers might be, you know, Chick-fil-A, Buffalo Wild Wings, Wendy's, McDonald's, whoever. Whoever that customer is that an integrator sells chickens to, are telling them what they want. You know, if you go to a fast food restaurant, the, the chicken portion is a certain size. The patty is a certain size. The nugget is a certain size. And it's supposed to be that because whoever is selling that product told the integrator, this is what we want you to give us. So in some cases, you know, let's take a Cornish game hen, for instance. It's usually a female chicken. They're usually sex, so, and the females become Cornish game hens. Those may only be 
30, 32 days old whenever they're harvested. Mm -hmm. But let's say you have a contract with someone that wants further processed products. So maybe everything is being deboned and turned into patties, nuggets, breast strips, something like this. If that's the case, maybe those chickens are 49 days old, 56 days old, 62 days old. Right. It all kind of depends on who the customers are that the integrators are actually selling product to because those are the folks that tell integrators this is what you want us to give you. And if you do it that way, you know, we'll pay you premium if you can hit a, a specific target. Now, we'll, we might still take the product if you're a little over here or a little over here, but this is what we want. And that's what companies are trying to hit. It's, it's not so much a day of age basis as it is a weight basis. If it takes a day longer to get them to, to market, that's fine. If they can go to market a day quicker, that's fine. But they're looking for this specific targeted weight because that's what they're being asked to give their customers. And that's the target. That's the bullseye they're trying to hit. Absolutely, and and as you mentioned, the consumer drives the boat. So yes, uh, and, so and whoever whoever the the customer is, their customers that come into the store and buy product are telling them, "This is what we want. Maybe we want something a little bigger. Maybe we want something a little smaller." But yes, those folks have marketing communications folks that listen to what the consumers are telling them, and then based on that. It just flows both ways. So hopefully everybody at the end of the day, everybody's happy. Right. So one other question along those lines, and, and you made me think about this, one of your comments about the integrity of the chicken's feet as it relates to manure management and litter management and all that type mm -hmm. of thing and how important that is, not only for the bird, but how valuable those are. And tell us why uh, chicken feet would be valuable. Well, at, at one time, when I first started in the chicken business, you know, chicken feet were, were rendered. They were turned into, you know, the same kind of products that the feathers, the blood, the mm -hmm. intestines all go to. It's turned into some type of, of high protein product. Sure. You know, and, and years ago, there wasn't a market like what there is today. There, there's not that big of a market in the U.S. for chicken feet. Now, you, you can find them in the stores sometimes, but as a whole, this country is not where the demand is. The demand is overseas, China, Southeast Asia, exactly. where these products are, are more or less some type of a, a delicacy product. But again, they want it to be a quality product. They don't want the chicken to have a big blister on the bottom of its foot, on the pad. They don't want the toes to be blistered or anything. And again, if that's the case, if you've got wet litter, if you've got litter that is not conducive to taking care of those chickens' feet, you know, it, it downgrades that product. And then they may wind up being rendered anyway because they can't sell that product. So it's extremely important from the, from the standpoint of, of having a sellable product to keep your litter dry, to manage the moisture level in the litter, to manage the humidity inside the house. Because again, the demand that did not used to be there is driving all of this stuff today. And, and how well a grower takes care of those birds determines not only what kind of paw quality that chicken has, but again, maybe how good of a job 
those birds perform in their house and how big their chicken check is. In, in most oh. cases, growers don't really see a paw allowance on their settlement check. But, but in, a, in a way, and I try to explain this to folks this way, in a way, you do have a, a paw quality incentive because if that chicken is healthy, if that foot pad does not have big blisters on it, Maybe that bird goes to the feeder a few more times every day. Maybe yeah, it goes to the drinker a few more times every day. I use the analogy with folks, if if you've got a big blister on the bottom of your foot and you're watching TV and the commercial comes on, maybe you think, I'll go to the refrigerator and get something to eat or drink. But if you've got a big blister on the bottom of your foot and it's going to hurt to go to the refrigerator, maybe you stay just where you are and don't do that. Chickens are probably the same way. If they if it hurts them to to walk and they're having pain trying to get back and forth to the feeder and the drinker, maybe they don't make as many trips. And if they don't make as many trips, maybe they don't grow as fast. Maybe they don't convert feed as well. And again, feed conversion and weight gain is what growers are paid for. Absolutely. So so let's let's change gears to the backyard side of things. And you know, we are uh, blessed in Tennessee to have one of the best 4-H programs, I think, in the country. Uh, certainly, we have great agents, and and uh, the agents have done a great job of getting uh, our 4-Hers involved in the poultry project we call the Chick Chain. Yes, and then of course others, the backyard poultry thing has exploded as well. But uh, but but what do uh, these folks need to really be concerned about when they take come into one of our co-op stores, they buy five, six, ten chicks, they go home, they put them in the, in the brooder, and what do they need to be concerned about when they, when well, they get for, them Well, for folks that haven't done it before, and, and as you mentioned, Chick Chain is very, very popular, and it's extra special popular this year, in part because eggs have been very, very high in the grocery stores in, in recent weeks and months. And, and that, to some degree, has help county agents have a bigger chick chain program than what they're used to this year. And a lot of these folks that, that are participating maybe have not grown chickens before. And, and the kids don't know how to take care of the birds. The parents may not know how to take care of the birds because it's something new to them. So again, as you mentioned, feed is, is very, very critical. Feed is going to be their biggest expense because chickens have to be fed every day. They like to eat every day, just like we do, or just like horses, cows, hogs, and everything else does. So you, you have to take care of them, and, and feed will be your biz, biggest expense. It won't be your only expense. You're, you've got to get the birds. You've got to have some type of housing and a situation to take care of them. So you will have expenses, but feed will be your biggest expense. So you want, when you go to the co-op and buy a sack of feed, you want to know that that feed has got everything those chickens Absolutely. need in it. So then you don't have to worry about it. There are a handful of folks out there that do try to mix their own diets. And, and if they're capable of doing that, you know, knock themselves out, they can do that. But for most of us, you know, we're not to the point where we can manage everything, get the protein level, get the calorie level, the energy count, amino acids, especially lysine and methionine when it comes to chickens are critically important. But if you go to the co-op and you buy a sack of feed, there's a tag on that sack of feed. And that tag is basically your guarantee that everything that chicken needs is in that sack of feed. The right amount of protein, the right amount of energy, the right amount of fiber, fat, 
That tag tells you everything that is in that sack. If it's medicated feed, it will let you know what particular kind of medication is in there. There is a wealth of knowledge on a feed tag if folks will just pay attention to it and read it. So feed is very, very important, but feed is not the only thing. You've got, especially when you get baby chicks, you've got to manage temperature. You've got to manage ventilation. You've got to manage it the way the mother hen was because you're the mama hen. Until that baby chick grows up enough that it can kind of take care of itself, you're the mama hen. And you have to keep those baby chicks warm. So a lot of folks put a heat lamp in their, in their pen or however they've got their, their setup for baby chicks and let that chicken find its own comfort zone. You know, maybe it wants to sit right under the heat lamp for a while. Maybe it wants to get a little ways off over here away from it because it's too hot right under the heat lamp for this particular chicken. And every chicken, as a lot of you folks know, every chicken has its own personality. They're a lot like people. Everyone's a little bit different. So you're not going to see all of them acting the same all the time because, again, Comfort level for one may be a little bit different than comfort level for another. So those are the things that, that we worry about, especially when they're baby chicks and they're small. Keep the temperature right. Make sure that the ventilation system is such that, and whatever you're using for, for bedding material, make sure it's dry, make sure it's loose, make sure that those chickens, as best you can, provide everything that you can for them because, again, you're the mama hen for those things until they get grown up enough that they can kind of begin to more or less look after their self. So, you know, with, with backyard poultry production, I've been involved, you've been involved. Uh, you know, there are some significant disease concerns that we want to know about and we want to protect against, not only for the, for the birds, but also for ourselves as well. So yes. we want to... Uh, uh, be concerned about that. I know the state veterinarian is is concerned about some things. And, and as the project grows, we we want that. We want pe people to enjoy their projects yes. and, and enjoy these things. But we also want them to know the safety concerns and manage for that. So what are some of those disease-related things that we could be concerned about? Well, two of the biggest things we're worried about right now is avian influenza. And avian influenza has been ongoing for the last year, 14 months. The last big avian influenza outbreak that we had in this country was 2014-2015. So it's been a while since, since there's been the kind of problem that we're having with avian influenza right now. Part of the issue with avian influenza that a lot of people do not understand is that the disease itself in most cases is carried by wild waterfowl, especially migrating geese and ducks. So especially during high periods of migration, spring and fall, fall when they're flying south, spring right now, this time of the year when they're flying back north. The avian influenza virus and waterfowl, in most cases, they carry the disease, but they don't show symptoms and they don't get sick. But the, the virus itself can certainly make domestic chickens and domestic turkeys sick. And, and if it's a high pathogenic version and not a low pathogenic version. And in most cases, in, in wild waterfowl, it is low pathogenic, and it doesn't show many signs, and those birds don't get sick, and in most cases do not die. It's a different situation with domestic chickens, and, and turkeys especially. The wild waterfowl carry the virus, and the virus is shed in the nasal secretions and in the manure. 
So let's say a, a flock of geese flies over your farm and drops manure between your chicken pen and the house or drops manure directly into the chicken pen. If those chickens peck in that manure, they're going to pick up the virus. They're going to infect yourself. If you walk through manure and you track it into your chicken pen or your chicken coop, you've put the virus there. You know, it's not going to magically appear. <laughs> it has to be put somewhere. And in most cases, you know, we're the culprit. We put it there not knowing that we put it there, but we walk through manure or something and we tracked it inside and then we put it there. And then once it's there... Chickens do what chickens do. They scratch, they peck in that manure, and they pick up the virus and infect themselves. And if, if it's a high pathogenic version of avian influenza, they will not be sick very long. They, they die very rapidly. So let's say it's a commercial chicken house, and there may be 20,000 chickens in that house. If they pick up avian influenza and it's a high pathogenic version, maybe you lose five chickens today. 500 tomorrow, 5,000 the next day, 10,000 the next day. The whole house can die within about three or four days. That's how deadly it is, and, and that's how dangerous it is. So avian influenza has everybody's attention, especially right now, again, because the ducks and the geese start back north again. Another scenario that, that especially Dr. Beatty at the State Veterinarian's Office is concerned about, her and her staff, is salmonella. A lot of baby chicks carry salmonella. Now, the, the industry and the commercial hatcheries where these chicks come from, they do the best job that they can of trying to make sure that those chicks do not have salmonella. Yes. But, but salmonella can be in the breeder flock that furnishes the eggs that the hatchery uses to hatch these chicks. And they do test these breeder flocks. They do a very good job of testing for salmonella, testing for other diseases, just to make sure as best they can that chicks they are sending out, you know, are good quality chicks and, and, and are not diseased. But salmonella is one of those diseases that if, if the bird is not shedding it at the time it was tested, you're not going to be able to pick it up. Right. And, and a lot of times some type of a stress system can stress that bird and, and make it start shedding. So maybe the testers were there today and tested and everything come back clean, but maybe tomorrow a cold front comes through and the chickens get a little bit chilled, enough to stress them a little bit, and then that triggers them to start shedding salmonella. Salmonella is one of those diseases that can be both vertically transmitted through the hen to the egg to the baby chick, but it can also be laterally transmitted from bird to bird. And every year, Across the country, folks get sick from salmonella infections. And sometimes you can trace those infections back to certain mail-order hatcheries because a lot of times, and, and a lot of the biosecurity talks that I do, you know, I, I try to tell people, you know, as, as best you can, regardless of how cute and cuddly a little baby chick is, do not kiss and snuggle on those things. Because again, if they do have salmonella, and, and you pick that up by kissing and snuggling on your baby chick or not washing your hands after you've handled them and your fingers wind up in your mouth or you eat food, you swallow salmonella, you're going to get sick. But again, a lot of times it's just that, that folks do not understand, you know, exactly how everything works or why it works that way. And it's not their fault they don't understand. But again, if they've never grown chickens before and nobody has explained this to them, 
it's it's difficult to pick up everything you need to know unless somebody somewhere kind of gives you some guidance and some guidelines. Yeah. So a good rule of thumb is keep everything clean, including your hands. You you know just just cleanliness takes is, care of a lot of problems. It's extremely important. And again, hand sanitizer at the cook at your pen. You know, washing your hands after you handle your chickens. Again, this is something else I tell folks when I do extension talks, but you know, chickens can be cute and cuddly and, and they're good things to have in terms of especially teaching young children how to be responsible, how to take care of a live critter, something like this. But again, chickens are farm animals. You know, they belong outside with the cows and the hogs, not in the house with the cats and the dogs, because again, you bring them inside the house and they've got salmonella, regardless of where you put them, on the counter, on the couch, on the carpet, and then you can pick that up after the chicken has long gone back to the chicken coop. So those are, those are things that, you know, not everybody gets told every day, but it's things that are important to be aware of and to know just how important it is to keep things clean, to take all the precautions that you can to keep everybody safe. Because again, chickens are a fantastic livestock project. They don't take a lot of land. They don't take a whole lot of feed compared to how much a cow or a hog is going to eat. So they are, they are a very good project. But again, people have to be aware of there are risks that you can get sick if you don't do everything the way you need to. So you just need to be aware of this stuff. So as we begin to wind up here, Dr. Tabor, we want to make sure that our audience knows that if they have poultry uh, issues and questions uh, uh, concerning any type of research or commercial or whatever the case may be. Every county, if you don't aren't aware, has a local agricultural extension office. Yes, and so there's some good agents there that can certainly uh, help you and get in touch with people like Dr. Tabler that can certainly help you along the way. Also, your local farmers co-op. Uh, most uh, everyone at the local farmers co-op is trained in backyard poultry. But if you have any questions, there's a lot of resources out there. I would refer you to local co-op and the county extension office uh, for any questions you may have. Thank you for joining us this evening.